You only have one life to live, so get the most out of it. On Good Life, Great Life, join me, Brian Highfield, and my guests as we share success stories, habits, mindsets, and lessons learned by successful people. These lessons are not taught in schools, but are critical for getting ahead in life. Whether you want a successful business or career, optimal health, or a lifestyle that most people just dream of, Good Life, Great Life has you covered. After retiring from a successful corporate career in my 40s, I founded multi-million dollar businesses in the sports and healthcare arenas. Now, I help everyday people maximize their lives and speak regularly at seminars, on podcasts, and radio shows to share principles on the topics of health, wealth, and happiness. Don't let a good life get in the way of a great life. Join me today on Good Life, Great Life. Well, welcome to another episode of Good Life, Great Life. Today, we have with us Jeremy Britton. Jeremy is the Chief Financial Officer of the Boston Trading Company and comes to us with over 25 years of experience in financial planning, entrepreneurship, and financial markets. Welcome to the program, Jeremy. Thank you for having me. appreciate you staying up late and me getting up early. That's right. So Jeremy's coming to us from Australia. So uh, we're on opposite ends of, of, the, uh, of the globe right now. But uh, Jeremy, we want to get to know you a little bit. Uh, tell us a little bit about your background um, and your path to being an entrepreneur. Uh, my, my parents were both school teachers. And of course, when I was growing up, they practiced on me at home before I even went to school. So by the time I got to school, I knew my numbers and my colors and, and things like that. And at school, I thought I was clever because I knew a little bit more than, than what the other kids did. And of course, through school, you're taught by school teachers as well. Um, and I was always a little bit ahead of the other kids in class. So I'd finish my work and then I'd start interrupting people, talking to the people next to me, get into trouble, go and sit at the back of the room, read a book or whatever. And I was always a little bit restless. I always wanted to do something different and something more. I got bored easily. Um, probably, probably a little bit of ADHD, although I was never medicated. And uh, growing up, you know, I, I did the normal things when I was 14. I became a McSoldier and was flipping burgers and, and selling French fries and that sort of stuff and making, making some money. And um, my folks said, hey, you've got to go to university because you go to university, you get a degree, and then you get a good, safe job, and then you... You know, you're, you're right for life. Um, and I, I went off to university. I didn't make it all the way through because once I left home, I started to meet other people who were outside of my sort of social network. And, of course, when you're a kid, your social network is only your, your parents and, and your parents' friends who were all employees and they all had the same mindset. And I had the same mindset, you know, nothing against McDonald's, but I was working hours for money. And the more hours I worked, the more money I got. So I was brainwashed through this whole educational schooling system by employees who were teaching me the only way to get more money is to work overtime and work at double shifts and things like that. And then when I was 18 and I left home to go to university, I met a few people who were in business and business people didn't work 60, 70, 80 hours a week, you know, and they actually made money sometimes when they were sitting having a coffee. They made money sometimes because someone else was doing the work for them. And that sort of messed with my head a little bit. And um, I, I met someone and I was like, how can I start a business and how can I sell more things and, and make more money like the guy at the car yard and like the guy here? And this guy said to me, you know, if you go in and you're selling cars, 
once you've sold a bloke four or five cars, he's tapped out. Once you've sold a, a person like a holiday house and a rental house and an investment house and a weekend house, they're tapped out. He said, you've got to get into the money business because people never get tapped out in money. Everyone wants to be a millionaire. You talk to a millionaire, they want to be a billionaire. You talk to a billionaire, they want to be a multi-billionaire. He said, you'll have customers for life and they'll never, ever get sick of you. And I went, ah. And I actually found a, a guy who was a financial planner. Uh, he was a very successful financial planner. Like he had a three-story building with his name on the side of the building. Drove a very flash car. And I went, okay, I'm going to go and work for this guy and start my own business under his tutelage. Um, now, again, I was clever through school. I had all the book learning, zero street smarts, absolutely zero street smarts. So my first business failed within six months. I lost all my money, was dejected, moved back into my parents' place. I was living in the garage and they said, look, you've got to go back to university. You obviously suck at business. Go back to university, you know, start your degree, finish your degree and get a good, safe job. And at the time that I was doing this, you know, living in my parents' garage, waiting tables and trying to save a few dollars, I came across another business idea. I went, oh, my God, there's a big gap in the market. I'm going to jump into this. And, of course, you know, parents and family, because they were brainwashed by the, by the employee system, they said, don't do it, it's too risky, blah, 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 blah. You failed before. So I got into this business and I had learned from my previous mistakes and I did a lot of things differently, but I didn't still have all the, all the street smarts. That business lasted 18 months and then went broke because there was one little, one little gap, gap in my knowledge. I was up to sort of 98%. And at that stage, you know, my dad took me aside, gave me a big hug and said, look, you tried twice, you failed twice, you obviously suck at business. <laughs> Go to university, you know, get a, get a degree, get a safe government job and, and you'll be right. And I looked at my dad and said, look, first business failed in six months. The second business went for 18 months. The way I look at it, I got 300% better within the space of a year. So if I start another business and I work hard at that <clears throat> and learn things, maybe I can have it going for four or five years before it fails. And so I did. I started another business. I'm on my 13th or 14th startup now. But because I realized I had a couple of little gaps in my knowledge, no matter how much I'd learned from my own mistakes, I hired a business coach. And I learned more from the business coach than I did from my own mistakes. And obviously, it was quick, quicker and easier to learn from other people's mistakes than from my own mistakes. So I built business after business after business. And one of my financial planning businesses in 2005, I started that up. Uh, for $5,000. Um, I had kids in school at that stage. My kids were young. So I worked school hours. I started work at 9 o'clock, finished work at 3 o'clock, picked up the kids and went to the beach. So that was my 24-hour little side hustle. Um, and I started that for $5,000. And a couple of years later, one of my competitors actually looked at my business and went, oh, I could buy your business because it's really easy to run. It's all systematized and only takes 24 hours a week to run, whereas most other people in my industry were working 60, 70 hours a week. And so he offered me six figures for this business that I'd started for five grand. I went, sure, why not sell that one? Because I can always start another one. <laughs> There's Man. always something else to do. So, and yeah, I had six financial planning businesses and I tried to retire a couple of times. The first time I retired, I lasted about three or four months. I wrote a book on financial planning to so say, hey, learn this stuff so you won't need me anymore. 
um, because I'm getting out. But people learned that stuff and then said, oh, yeah, it's great to have the car manual, but I still don't want to do it myself. Yeah, I know how to do it, but I don't want to do it. Mm. And um, so I started another financial planning business and then got rid of that one um, and then tried to retire again. I, I went off to Bali, lived in Bali for a couple of years. And then I discovered crypto. And a few of my friends were into crypto and they were sort of basically gambling because they didn't know what they were doing and having some luck. When I looked at crypto, I went, oh, it's just like the stock market. I know the stock market. I can do research into these things and find out how they work. And obviously, because I understand stocks, I can apply that knowledge to crypto and do significantly better than what other people are doing. And I started teaching friends and, and other people how to do this themselves because it's a very, very simple process once you understand what you're doing. Uh, it's like chess. You can, you can teach someone to play chess in an afternoon. They're not going to be a world champion, but they're going to understand the basics and they're going to do pretty okay. Um, and then a few people said, look, I don't have time for this because, again, they're stuck in the trap. <laughs> Most business owners have still got the employee mindset and they think the more hours I work, the more things I do, the more money I make. So it's, you've got to get rid of the brainwashing. Once you can get rid of the brainwashing, then you can actually start to use the techniques that people who only work a few hours a day or like four-hour work week, right? Um, so these people said, too, too busy, too busy. Can you do it for me? And I went, oh, okay. Well, that's what mutual funds are, right? Because people don't have time to pick their own stocks. They invest into a mutual fund, BlackRock, Vanguard, Fidelity, these kind of guys. So we started a mutual fund for cryptocurrency, which had never been done before. And I thought, oh, we'll just run it along for a little while with just, you know, six or seven of us. And if it goes well, we'll tell the world. If it doesn't go well, we'll just bury it and not tell anybody else about it. <laughs> but we've, we've outperformed Bitcoin for the last seven years in a row. And it's just simple diversification. It's not rocket science. And it doesn't take long to do. So, again, I'm, I'm still working. I mean, um, since probably 2000, 2005, um, I've only ever worked, you know, maybe three or four hours a day. Um, and yeah, sometimes people want to buy your business. Ultimately, this business, you know, once once the crypto regulations come in, the uh, the big mutual fund managers like the BlackRocks and the Vanguards and these kind of guys are going to want to launch their own mutual funds. Mm -hmm. And we've got a seven year head start on them. So I'm fully expecting I'll get a phone call from someone at one of the big institutions saying we'd like to buy your fund for for a couple of billion dollars because you're way in front of where we were. So. Yeah. So, so Boston Trading Company, you're basically a mutual fund for crypto. Yeah, yeah. And and what is the state of crypto right now? I mean, we just had the FTX meltdown and stuff. Uh, there's a lot of pessimism, um, a cry for more regulation, which has been going on for a mm -hmm. while, people wanting more regulation in the crypto. Um, but things seem to be kind of bottomed out, at least temporarily for now anyway. But what's your, what's your, what's your take on it? Yeah. Maximum fear is maximum opportunity. I mean, I've, I've been in the markets long enough to remember the 1999 tech wreck. And we had like the internet back then and pets.com and jet.com and all yeah. these dot-com companies coming out. And they tanked because they basically did nothing, added no value. But at the same time, like Microsoft went down 60%. Apple went down 80% in 1999 because they were just caught up in the contagion mm -hmm. of this stuff. So anybody to do with crypto, the markets kind of went, oh, my God, we don't want anything to do with you. So like Coinbase used to be $350, the Coinbase stock. Now that stock is down like 40, 50 bucks. And you know, anytime you could buy a company that's like 80, 90% off, 
is probably yeah. a good buy if it's got <laughs> some value going forward. And this is this is what we looked at when we first started is because I've, I've got a couple more grey hairs than you. So I'm... <laughs> I'm old enough to remember. (laughs) (laughs) I remember being on MySpace and having a Nokia Uh mobile phone, and then all of a sudden everybody's on Facebook and Nokia phones are gone and the iPhones are in. And when we first started the mutual fund, like everyone's going on about Bitcoin, and Ethereum had just come out, and Ethereum was making a lot of promises. And there was a few other altcoins in there that we had. And I, I sort of said to the guys, like, I don't know if someone's going to come out with a bigger, better Bitcoin, like the the Facebook or the or the Mm -hmm. iPhone of Bitcoin. So what's going to happen? Because we don't know what that one's going to be. Maybe it hasn't even been invented yet. So we just sat down and puzzled it out and went, okay, if someone invents a bigger than better than Bitcoin, what's going to happen is they're all going to go onto the exchanges and they're all going to sell their Bitcoin and buy the new thing. So we started buying into the exchanges as well, buying stock into the exchanges. Um, We also bought into the fiber optic networks because like, I, I sort of liken all the cryptos are little cars running around but someone's got to pay the toll. Like when you send an email to me, you think it's free, but someone's got to pay for the internet access. So we invested into the fiber optics and said, no matter who wins, if there's a new Bitcoin that comes out and Bitcoin goes to zero, the exchanges are going to make money and the fiber optics are going to make money. And of course, smart fridges, self-driving cars, those sort of things use up a lot of fiber optic cables. So that was our kind of defensive strategy to invest in a few stocks as well as in the cryptocurrencies. And of course, we didn't know that there was, you know, a couple of years later, there's going to be a disease come out of China and mm-hmm. basically shut the world down. Um, but in the pandemic crash, of course, you know, the stock market again went down 50, 60% maximum fear. People thought we're all going to die. Mm-hmm. But what actually went up was all the, um, you know, the accountants, the lawyers, these kind of guys started working from home using yeah. the fiber optics. You know, the hospitality workers who couldn't wait tables sitting at home watching Netflix on the fiber optics. So when the market was going down 50%, 60%, we actually went up by 50% because we were just invested in the, in the defensive assets. So I think the, um, the idea of diversification is as old as the hills or the stock market and the idea of jumping in when everybody else is afraid. I mean, Warren Buffett got that idea from, from, yeah, from Ben Graham. So yeah, this I is, tell this my wife all the time when, when I when I talk to my wife about investing, I'm like, if if everybody's heading for the exits, that's that's when I need to look for the entrance. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I got an email yesterday. I was supposed to be speaking at the um the Expoverse conference in Miami, and Miami has set itself up as the city of crypto, and the mayor's like, oh, we're going to have Miami Coin, and I'm going to accept my salary <laughs> in Bitcoin, and all this sort of stuff. And he was pulling people in from San Francisco, Silicon Valley, New York, like businesses come and start up in Miami because it's the gateway to Latin America and Europe and blah, blah, blah. But they also had the FTX arena, you know. (laughs) (laughs) So when that imploded, I think the mayor got scared and then people in the town sort of got scared. So literally yesterday, like 15 hours ago, I got this email saying, oh, the the expo is cancelled and you can't come and speak for us anymore. And I went... Well, that's kind of dumb. I mean, obviously, <laughs> is it a lot of plenty? But anybody who's who's looked at crypto knows that every four years there's an eighty percent drop, and then that's followed followed usually by a thousand percent gains. But also, you know, with what's happened just in the last three weeks, I mean, we've we've had that maximum fear, as you say. Mm-hmm. In the last three weeks, Bitcoin's up twenty one percent, Ethereum's up twenty eight percent. There's some other altcoins who are up like 50, 60%. So we're, I think we're past the bottom now. 
there will be another little drop because anybody who's just made 21% if they were lucky enough to buy three mm -hmm. weeks ago, they'll probably sell off and take a little bit of profit. So it might drop back down another 5 or 6% and then it'll go up and it'll drop back. I mean, we, we're familiar with the sawtooth pattern of the stock market. But again, when there's a massive drop of more than 50%, absolutely, that's a time to start looking and saying, which of these businesses are going to go broke? Which of these are going to recover? Because the good ones I can buy really cheap. Yeah. And, and what's your timeline, do you think, to actually, you know, um, uh, crypto be more ubiquitous for purchases and, and more day-to-day -day activity rather than just as uh, most people look at it as an investment vehicle right now? Yeah, it's it's funny because I think it can be whatever you want it to be. Mm. Um, like when we first got into it, when I very first got into crypto, I was just using it as a, as a payment thing because I outsource a lot of my work. So I've got someone doing my emails, someone answering my phone calls, someone designing webs and, and that sort of stuff. So sending money to India and Indonesia and Africa and Fiji and this sort of stuff, it was costing a lot in interbank transfers. And one of my mates said, oh, why don't you use Bitcoin? I said, yeah, I've heard of that, like this magic internet money that goes up and down and you can make money. <laughs> and he's like, no, 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 no. It's like money that you can email and it costs you about 50 cents. And I went, what? He said, like, if you email someone $1,000, it costs them 50 cents. I said, but I've, I've heard that it goes up and down like this. He said, well, if they cash out the same day, it doesn't really matter. Mm. And I was paying like, you know, $30, $40 for bank transfers to pay some of our staff. So I went, okay. So we started buying Bitcoin, sending it to people over the internet. They got it instantly, couldn't be reversed, no bank charges, you know. Worked 24 hours a day because banks, of course, are shut on weekends and public holidays. So we just started using it as a medium exchange. Now, I didn't even look into it far enough back then to know there's a limited supply of Bitcoin. It's actually mm -hmm. a commodity like gold. They don't make any more Bitcoin. So I didn't understand those principles. And when I bought a big chunk of Bitcoin and then started paying this person and this person and this person and this person and this person, and I go back to check my balance. My balance is actually more than what I started with. I didn't understand why I needed to look into that. But um, I think if... People have grown up with the internet. So your grandma used to send photos of the grandchildren through the post. And she used to write letters and send them through the post. That's what we used to do. And now it's just digital photos and digital documents. And Bitcoin is basically what they call digital gold. It's a scarce commodity. There's only ever so much of it. And the price will fluctuate. If you look at the gold price, the gold price fluctuated during the global financial crisis of 2008. Gold price fluctuated when the, when the war started in Ukraine. And that's okay. What we don't realise is the dollar price has also fluctuated because the government printed or the Fed yeah. printed so much more, more cash. Mm. Um, but that's be, be that as it may, without understanding all of that, you can just say, well, this is a new technology that didn't exist before. Like the internet's a new technology that didn't exist before. And even though Jet.com and Pets.com and, and 80 or 90% of the internet companies that started up in the 90s all went broke, if you'd invested in 100 of them, sure, 80 or 90% of them, you'd lost your money. But Netflix, Amazon, you know, Facebook, these sort of guys, YouTube, Google, that came out, you would have made millions of percent return. And that may, made up for the money that you'd lost. You know, again, back to the diversification and, and being able to take a few risks. You're not putting your life savings into technology stocks and you shouldn't put your life savings into, into cryptocurrency. Uh, because I've got the old school financial planning background, mm -hmm. like cover your ass first, insure your house, insure your car, you know, in case there's a wildfire, insure your income in case you break your arms and legs and can't go to work tomorrow. 
once you've done that, then sure, get some good quality blue chip stocks. So you know 80% of your portfolio is safe, even if there is a war or recession, depression, whatever, and maybe put five or 10% into crypto, you know? Just take yeah. a little risk. If you lose 5% of your portfolio because all the crypto companies go bust at once, yeah. you can recover from that. Yeah, absolutely. You know? Yeah. But if, if, if one or two of them go ballistic, then you're going to be okay as well. Yeah. No, great, great sound advice. I, I wanted to read something that uh, you put on your, your LinkedIn profile because um, I, I think this rings true with a lot of people and I think people need to understand this more. You said many people wish to make a fortune without realizing that fortune does not just mean money. Your fortune also refers to your destiny or lifestyle. Similarly, the worlds of rich and wealth can refer uh, not only to money. And and I think that's, that's great um, because people get focused on the money. Uh, mm -hmm. They lose sight of time. They lose sight of lifestyle. They lose sight of spending time with people and doing the things they like, like to do. And I, I, I just love that of what, about what you said. I think that really rings true with a lot of, a lot of entrepreneurs. I think it's great advice to not lose sight of that. I, I skipped over that part of my story, Brian. <laughs> when, when I used to, when I still had the employee mindset and I used to work all of the hours under the sun, I actually had a heart attack, stress-related mm. heart attack. And you know, my, my kids were still in primary school at the time. So, you know, the, the doctor said to me, you've got to change your lifestyle, otherwise you'll be dead within 12 months. And um, so that's that's about the time when I said, okay, like the, the old business that I had where I was working 60, 70 hours, shut that down, start up the new one. And again, just working school hours. And I, I, fully, I sold my seven-bedroom house. I bought a four-bedroom beach shack. I sold a couple of cars. I really downsized my life. Because in my head, if I'm working 20 hours a week rather than 70 hours a week, my income's going to go down by two-thirds. So I downsized my life, lived very frugally. And at the end of 12 months, I looked back and went, oh, my income went down by about 10%. Working 70% less hours. Yeah. yeah. All right. Wow. That's amazing. And I really started to look in. This was before the four-hour work week came out. And I found out by myself, like, if I can leverage things, if you have to, if you put in a position like literally gun to your head, I was on the on the surgery table having having heart surgery. And someone said to you, you've only got to work four hours a day. You will find a way to do it. And, you know, it's possible. There's some people who work three or four hours a day and make significantly mm. more money than what you do. You just got to find out how or learn how or find out you know, from somebody else, leverage, delegate, these sort of things and overcoming the brainwashing because you know, I, I keep talking about Tim Ferriss, the four-hour work week. I mean, that guy sold hundreds of millions of copies of his book. So why is there not hundreds of millions of people following the techniques yeah. and doing it? You know? And I, I think it comes back to the mindset. You yeah. read something and you go, oh, that's fine for Tim, but that would never work for me right. because you're still stuck in this brainwashing that you had mm -hmm. from your parents who were employees and your school teachers who were employees. And so you try it, but you never really try it or you don't even try it because you think it won't work. But if you can overcome that brainwashing and say, you know, like I was brought up in a Christian household, but it doesn't mean I need to be Christian the rest of my life. I was brought up by employees, but it doesn't mean I need to be that for the rest of my life. I can go and mix with Hindus and Buddhists and whatever else. And I can pick little bits of helpful advice from other business owners, other entrepreneurs. Find out someone who's at the coffee shop at 9.30 in the morning watching the tide roll in. You know, someone who's not in the office. Spend more time in the gym in the middle of the day and you'll see the guys in the gym in the middle of the day. They're the guys who don't need to be clocked in. 
because they've got a business that runs without them. And when you've got a business that runs without you, then you can spend more time with your loved ones, yeah. which is the, is, is the true wealth. Exactly. That's what I was going to say. It's the true wealth is, is really the, the, the time and the options and, and the ability. It's not just the money part of it. It's what the money, uh, if you've got, a, you've got a system and an engine in place that's generating the money, the true wealth is, is the time that you, you get to spend doing what you want to do with who you want to do it with. And uh, yeah, absolutely. I think that's, I think that's, that's key. And a lot of people lose sight of that because they just get focused on the money. Um, mm. I could talk to you all, all day, Jeremy. I really could, but we're running out of time, <laughs> but man, I, I, I had all talk. the money, but when you're lying on the, on the operating yeah. table, you know, like the doctor says, you, you're yeah. going to be dead in 12 months unless you change your lifestyle. And then, yeah. That, that heart surgery was followed by a six-figure divorce because I never spent any time with my partner because I was always at work. And you go, wow, I've lost, I've lost my health. I've mm-hmm. lost my relationships. I've got some of my money left. Yeah. But what's, what's really important right now? Like, let's, let's go for a balance. No, that's, that's great. And that's, that's, that's what, you know, what, why we did this program and why we call it a good life, great life is don't let a good life get in, get in the way of a great life. And, uh, uh, I love that you talked about leverage, you know, learning about leverage in an early age that you just thought making more money means you had to put more time into it. You work overtime. And, and so you learn that, that leverage concept early on. And that's, that's what we try to, to get across to entrepreneur. You talk about mistakes. I loved what you talked about there that you, I loved your mindset when you said it took my first business six months to fail. And the second one lasted 18 months. Uh, and, and so you saw it as 300% more successful. And, and so I love that mindset. And I think most entrepreneurs need to understand that as well as making mistakes is, is part of the game. It's part of the path. Um, but man, this is, this has been a great interview. How can our audience learn more about what you do? Get in touch with you, Jeremy. Uh, well, with the, with the business with, uh, bostontrading.co. Um, so yeah, first, First crypto mutual fund in the world, bostontrading.co on all the Twitters and all the socials. We do have a free YouTube channel called Krillionaire, as in CRY for crypto, where we give away a lot of advice and information. Um, But people who want to talk more about business and the 13 startups and working 70% less hours and making a lot more money. um, I I did start a coaching business many years ago called 24-Hour Wealth Coach because I was working 24 hours a week. So it's just number two, number four, H-O-U-R, 24-hour wealth coach. But you can find me anywhere on social media. Look for me. You'll find me. I'm gorgeous. <laughs> I've been around saying. for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, we'll have all those sites and everything attached to, to this podcast. So uh, thank you so much. Uh, our guest today has been Jeremy Britton. Uh, he's the chief financial officer of the Boston Boston Trading Company. Um, and like all of us entrepreneurs, uh, he has undiagnosed ADHD. So he said that earlier in the interview. Thank you so much for being part of the program, Jeremy. Thanks, Brad. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of Good Life, Great Life, brought to you by Brian Highfield. We hope you enjoyed listening to this week's guests and stories. If you like what you've heard, please consider subscribing wherever you listen to podcasts. This podcast is part of the C-Suite Radio Network, turning the volume up on business.